Rock Rising is an artist-focused, nonprofit organization. We rely on listeners like you to keep going. If you want to find out how you can support a show, an artist, or give to our 2021 organizational costs, please go to rockrising.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. Hey. Boom. Boom. We're here. Ba-boom. We're excited. We are. We're used to it. <laughs> Um, so I was thinking about the thing that we, you mentioned last week about putting a A or versus an in front of words like hallucination, like words that start with H and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I went down a whole, it wasn't really a rabbit hole cause it didn't take up so much time or multiple websites. But, um, I was, I was, cause I really, I really dislike it when people put an an before like historical mm. or hallucination. Um, right. But then I started like looking it up and looking at grammar rules and stuff. And really, you know, what it, it like seeing it all laid out made me realize just like once again, as I've realized many times, uh, just how infuriating the English language is in terms of not following its own rules. And mm-hmm. so generally, broadly speaking, that's what I want to get rid of is like, because it's just it's so unnecessarily confusing um especially of course if you are learning english not as as, right. as your second language or something um because like it is it's true i'm like okay well yeah i wouldn't say an historic personally because like you are because the h and i was like because there it starts with a consonant but then no not necessarily because if it was like um uh you know uh, uh like or even like f fbi like an fbi portfolio i would say and because the f yes it is a consonant but the first sound of that consonant is a vowel sound you know it's the eh not the f so like that's kind of the rule i guess but that's like not something that if you are especially if you're learning english you don't always know like a word that starts with an f could just start with the f sound like so it's still mm-hmm. not helpful um because like you know m- a lot of letters have could do that or they could you know yeah right um like it's not necessarily an helpful thing to be thinking yeah <laughs> exactly right. and like right and some people do like for historic and historical that seemed to be the most contentious one because some people do kind of um you know like sort of not pronounce the h so it's like mm-hmm. an histor- and like an historic occasion. Like if I say it quickly, then I'm like, I guess I could be okay with that, even though I, on principle, really don't like it. Yeah. Um, and I actually yeah. find that when I say like a uh, historic, yeah, it sounds dumb. It, it's it's not. It doesn't even just sound dumb. Oh, sorry, I, like a, <laughs> I didn't mean well, to say it you sound dumb. <laughs> No, no, no. It's not that it doesn't sound dumb, but I think that one of the the other things about it is it's not a lot of the, you know, yes, a and an are grammatical, but the but like they're not just grammatical. It also makes things easier to say, mm-hmm. and so like a historical occasion mm-hmm. is more difficult to say. Than mm-hmm. an historic occasion, right, right, right. You know, yeah. or you, you know, an historic. Oh, this, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is an historic building, or you know, I don't want to be an hysterical person. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then I'm also a human. There's something, and mm-hmm. this is 
regional um, because we have a theater history professor who says human. Mm-hmm. But even then, human would actually begin with yeah. a consonant sound right, because the, the Y is the, the consonant sound. Yeah, yeah, like unicorn or utopia. Right. You wouldn't say N right. utopia. Yeah. Hmm. That is actually a really interesting thing. Unicorn. Mm-hmm. An unicorn. So terrible. Is a, like a very, a unicorn. We, that, yeah. a uni, whoa, we do not say that. That is so. Uh, a univer. We also say a university. Yeah, we don't I don't say think any an university. I, I don't think any word that starts with a U sound has an it's before a. it. Because again, it's the, yeah. it's the it's really a Y sound, it's and the, the Y sound. is yeah. sometimes a vowel, but more often a well, consonant. In that case, because it's also to be clear, like the the Y letter implies two sounds, Y and E, and mm. E is a vowel sound, but yeah is a consonant sound. And so like, and they're written, one is written, the yeah is written with a J in the phonetic alphabet and the E is written with a lowercase I. So like it, they are very distinct. Actually, this is, reminds me of something similar to that. They like, um, so whether or not an S sounds like Z or sounds like S when you're making a word plural, Mm. depends on the sound immediately before it. Mm. Now, with uh, many words, the sound immediately before it is the last sound of the root word. Um, Like book, right? Mm. So the last sound in book is k, which is an unvoiced sound, so make it plural, books. Mm -hmm. Right? And like um another one another easy one would be like tree the last sound in tree is e which is voiced so add an s and it's trees Mm. but when you have words that we add es to Mm -hmm. the previous sound to the s is not the last sound in the root word it's the e And so, like, words like box. Mm-hmm. Box ends in a KS sound, mm-hmm. both unvoiced. So if you made it plural, you would think, okay, it's a S, it's a S ending. But it's not because the E is voiced, so it's not boxes. It's mm-hmm. boxes. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, a super annoying thing to teach because it's yeah. like you're not – it's the sound, not the letter. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, wow. That's really crazy. But well put in terms of the kind of rule or like, you know, right. reaching for the rule, trying to identify it. Yeah. Right. It's like why linguistics makes a distinction between like grammar and like the, they actually don't study. It's the reason that linguistics and like languages are different studies Hmm. because like the art of academic English is not how human beings speak and Hmm. not, and virtually 
at least according to many linguistics uh, professionals like Noam Chomsky, almost irrelevant. Hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. In terms of how we communicate. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Very interesting. Um, Yeah. yeah, Very cool. How about you, Stephen? What's your feeling this week? So do you use bar soap? Um, Occasionally, but not not really oh wow you just use like plastic bottles and just, i know like, rip look, through them look, over and okay, over again no, are you fucking listen kidding me? to me the the plastic the giant plastic bottles that i have most recently bought which was they've lasted so many months i like a month after buying them was like okay you know what no more of these i'm gonna go to bar soap and they just never have finished yet so i will be going to bar soap soon steven okay i am not perfect jesus but i I'm trying I'm I am making a change and I think that's God. relatable. Okay? I'm not yeah, already you try to perfect. like rub your composting in front of everybody's faces and then, you know, suddenly Once again, I'm sorry, oh, would it be this. better to just throw away and un- Check not your blind use spot, Gina. the Check uh, your thing blind that spot. I did that's buy? That's all I'm trying to say. All I- I'm trying to say is check your blind spot. Anyways, continue. Um Yeah, so bar soap gets to a point uh, basically, what I want to get rid of is what I'm calling dead soap. Mm. Okay, when it's the small, small bits, and you don't, you can't really use it. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, Mm-mm. Nope. not not because that is um, when the bar itself is like flimsy, mm-hmm. and so like that might be a dead bar mm-hmm. because it's like ceasing to be a bar. Mm-hmm. But what can happen is it can be ceasing to like to soap, right? You get the bar, like after it gets to a point where in this, you know, at the bar soap that I am currently using, which is not perfect. Okay. If I'm checking my blind spot, when I buy it, the bar soap is wrapped in plastic. These <gasps> are problems. Yes. Yeah, I know. And, a less recyclable form of plastic than likely the bottle is made out of, of your soap refill. Um, these are things to consider. Tricky, tricky. The tricky, tricky. There's, it's almost like there's no way to win in a capitalist economy built on resource extraction. <laughs> almost. It's almost like that. It's almost like that. Uh, but you get to this point where oh new bar of soap so good you're rubbing it oh hands covered in suds you could tell that soap is soaping that is a soap that soaps it knows what its job is and then halfway through you rub you rub there's like a slight little film a slight little bit of you know suds and Maybe it's psychological. I don't think it is, but maybe it's psychological, but it feels less clean this way. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. Right. Do you not feel like at the at borderline psychologically, your ability to create suds with a soap mm, yeah, is... is like, that's how I know it's cleaning and it's working. Right. Yeah, it's totally. almost, I don't know if it's a conflation to perceive the suds as the soap actively mm. killing mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. germs. Right, right, right. But right. it's the That's only thing we have to believe that it's not just uh, snake oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Huh. Yeah. No, I'm right. with you. So, it's super weird. Right. And so I, I like bar soap. Like using it. Want to keep using it. I don't like dead soap. When it dies, I want to get rid of it. Just yeah. who cares if you if I if you if I run through you a week earlier than I otherwise would have, so be it. Right. Suds so up be it. on my mm-hmm. Okay, keep going, keep going. I didn't do mean to interrupt wanna, the flow. I just was, need to I was making a pun. Should... Soap be it. Keep going. Oh, oh. Oh, were you? Yeah. Oh, is you not? Also, um, is it technically a pun? No, it was a, a wordplay moment. Yeah. Just don't, let's Does not, a pun let's, have it, to it be wasn't meant to like be lingered on in correct. this that's way? So, no. Right. I don't. Well, we could talk. That's a whole like, two-hour conversation right there. So. Well, because because like because you've said soap be it where it's like you said it's wordplay we're playing with the sounds I don't know if it's a pun as as much of a pun as if. I were to say, wash my hands of this conversation. Hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know either. <laughs> but I think we could wash our hands of this conversation. And, Should we? And start the show, yeah. <laughs> right. We, we've washed our hands of this conversation, and now we're ready to move on to the, the two-course meal that is this podcast maybe <laughs> is it four courses and that each course uh has its own uh pairing you know or is it that we're losing we our audience we're losing them. we are I we hear, i can are hear them turning okay, it okay. off okay well well for those who are still here <laughs> welcome to should we keep this the court the cultural review <laughs> podcast where we can take it all away we can take it all away as we look back over the f- what <laughs> I, I'm sorry I just I really didn't smoothly <laughs> plan put this these out. together I I thought I did but literally I have written as we look back over you got it you got it bad no that is no not good as we look back. As we got it, we got it bad when you're on the phone, hang up, and you call right back over the past 50 years of film, music, and television to ask, what's enough got to do, got to do with it? As we challenge your nostalgia, asking the question, should we keep this? Because in the end, it doesn't even matter, because I would walk. A thousand miles if I could go wherever you will go. Because the the reality is, Gina. I want to give you a slow clap. What I do? I'm Stephen Moskus. I'm I'm Gina Stevenson. And it's getting hot in here. So (gasps) that one too. Oh man, that one. Um, cause you know, so my days are cold without you. And I'm hurting while I'm with you, which can only mean that we are talking about the two towers. I thought you were gonna say the two thousand and two, like two thousand. No, the two towers. The two towers and, and Chicago. 
That's right, Gina. <laughs> this is how you remind me of who I really am. Oh, wow. It's the year 2002. That's right. The number one song of 2002 is by Nickelback. Oh, my God. What and dark times. Oof. Well, you know, I just think it's like a way to remind. I mean, this is how uh, they remind us reminds of who we really are. <laughs> um, that like the reason that we all started hating on Nickelback was because they got so popular. Mm. That's like, not why we started I started to hate them. I mean, they just I don't like their sound, but you know, maybe this that's just me with my good it, taste. I, you know, I don't. Um, know. I can't help it. Uh, last I can't. I checked. It. You didn't have any taste because of whatever that medicine was you took. Uh, yes, blow blow at my foot toenail fungus medicine. How dare you bring that into this? It's such an unrelated moment. <laughs> and yes, now I've said it. I took medicine <laughs> for some toenail fungus and it made it so I couldn't taste for like two months and it was terrible. But my toenail fungus went away. <laughs> so was it worth it? Um, yeah, I mean, she was all up on message boards. This was pre-COVID. Now everyone, so many kids, now you have TikTok and you can just post yourself eating all kinds of crazy shit. That. Yeah, I've seen kids eating kids out here eating K cups and and drinking White Claw and ketchup, showing how they don't have taste. But that wasn't what it was Jesus. like for well, you. It wasn't. That's horrible. Uh, regardless, yes, we are in the year two thousand and two, yeah. um, and this is I, what I would say. This was the year of the ensemble, um, and and also perhaps the year of uh, of genre of like a desire for like genre movie like i don't know how to say it but you know what i mean like we had like a fantasy epic fantasy adventure mm. movie and like a movie musical being the two right. like biggest movies of the year and that's right. just like a very particular moment in like you know genres that genre don't usually forward you could genre forward the genre forward year but yeah i feel mm. like the year of the ensemble is really kind of what's going on here um, yeah. perhaps. Um, so we have the Lord of the Rings, the two towers in Chicago, as you said, uh, right. you want to start wanna, as, I, mm -hmm. as much as, as terrible as I am, uh, to as terrible as I am to continue to bring this up. I think something is also important to point out with like the tide turning on Nickelback is sure. that <laughs> we, as I watch so much about like the nineties into the early two thousands, like, Bands like Nickelback abound. They're basically the last page in the book of grunge. And <laughs> and what I realized was, oh, yeah, you know, kids today, like we for, I feel like we forget that like 15 years ago being a quote unquote. Metrosexual mm. was a oh, thing, yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot which like. Not sexuality related at all. It was just men who dressed mm -hmm. nice. Mm -hmm. Like if you dress nice, you're a metrosexual. You're you're not a slob eating hungry man frozen dinner, uh, working away in the coal mine. You're a metrosexual. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it's like it's just weird that now. I would even go so far as to say we are like free enough in that regard mm -hmm. that 
we don't even perceive it as something that could have been different 15 years ago. Hmm. The idea, like, you know, the, the idea of like a man buying moisturizer is so common mm-hmm. that it like that i'm sure there's plenty of stand-up comedy jokes in the year 2000 about like i'm a man i can't be buying it moisturizer i gotta send my wife to get it mm-hmm. what am i just gonna be looking in the beauty aisle am i trying to end up in a bat i don't know i don't want to mm-hmm. follow the Mm-hmm. homophobic line of early 2000 stand-up comedy yeah no uh, thank you yeah and, you're welcome and nickelback was this was well metro- i think that they are I, they're not metrosexual no, what they yeah. are is an indication of like this time where in pop now if you look at any pop male star they are what would be introduced in the mid 2000s as the metrosexual hmm Period. Like mm-hmm. there is no um the like the grunge masculine pop aesthetic mm-hmm. doesn't really exist now mm. in the way that it did then. And so it, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh yeah. which I'm yeah, absolutely fine with. Actually, you know, it kind of does, but in like female culture. Like I feel like more women dress like grunge than men do hmm. interesting um yeah i just don't know anything about music these days to be honest so i can't really contribute but uh well, i'm talking about those theory. days sure yeah I, but you're also talking about these days so you know it's a this and a that in a way time uh, it, it doesn't have a, a starting point or an ending point so, it's a really do you thin start with, let's start with mm. chicago sure Okay, great. So Chicago, this is the best picture winner of 2002. And I'm going to walk us through the plot. Um, this is a, mu- a, a movie musical, a, a movie musical set in Chicago. Big, big surprise there in the 1920s. Um, and it's, you know, an ad- it was a stage musical and before it became a movie musical. Um, okay, mm-hmm. so we, it begins with, we meet a woman named Roxy Hart, who's watching a jazz performer named Velma Kelly uh, perform a number at a jazz club, a hip hop cool jazz cup. And, uh, and, and she, Roxy, really wants to be a star herself. Um, I realize I said hip hop, but I didn't mean it like hip hop. I meant like hip hip. You meant like a hip hopping. Like yeah, hip, actually, hip-hop-in. you mean it in, I'm in pretty like- sure that the phrase hip hop <laughs> hmm. originated from like the same interesting yeah hip and hopping yeah right anyways um so roxy wants to be a star herself and uh so she begins an affair with a furniture salesman named fred casely who claims to know the club's manager um after the show velma the performer is arrested for killing her husband and her sister after finding them sleeping together a month later fred casely admits to roxy that he doesn't actually know anyone in showbiz he just wanted to sleep with her um so he had made up the whole thing about helping her become a star so she shoots and kills him. Uh, she convinces her husband, Amos, sweet, sweet, gullible Amos, to take the blame. But when it gets revealed that Roxy was having an affair with Fred, the truth all comes out and Roxy is arrested, brought to murderous row in the Cook County Jail under the care of the corrupt 
matron Mama Morton, um, who, you know, takes inmates money in exchange for getting them stuff that they're not supposed to have in jail. Roxy meets Velma there, but Velma doesn't give her the time of day. Uh, Roxy gets Velma's lawyer, Billy Flynn, who has never lost a case to represent her, leading to a major campaign to manipulate the press into believing a whole tragic, virtuous backstory for Roxy. She's praised as a, a heroine who was just a victim of, of jazz and liquor, um, which makes Velma really pissed because uh, she's, Roxy is now taking all the public attention away from Velma's own murderous act. Um, as they're building Roxy's court case, another sensational woman murderer grabs the press attention. And as a last ditch effort to stay relevant, Roxy claims she's pregnant, um, which gets their attention again. She goes to trial. Billy turns it into a whole media spectacle. Roxy is declared innocent. Uh, but right as the verdict comes out, another woman murders her husband and her husband and her lawyer or something right outside the courthouse. So nobody cares about Roxy anymore. Um, Amos has remained blindly loyal this whole time, but Roxy rejects him, tells him there isn't really a baby. He finally leaves her. Roxy tries to become a performer, but she can't catch a break uh, until Velma one day suggests they create a double act because Velma, it turns out, is struggling as well. So they stage a big performance that apparently earns them the love of the audience, the press attention once again, capitalizing on their murderous reputation in the act, leaving them both back on top. Boom. That's Chicago, right. baby. As you said, this was based on a musical, and funnily enough, it was originally, that musical is based on a play hmm. that was written in the 20s by a woman named Maureen Dallas Watkins, who was also a journalist who wrote about basically covering Chicago criminal cases. Hmm. And I do think, I agree with you, there could be more visibility for that, mm -hmm. as opposed to it just being a Fosse show. Mm. Now, it was made for $45 million. It made $306.8 million. It won Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress, Art Direction, Costume, Film Editing, and Sound. Now, it did not win Best Director. Guess who won Best Director that year? Was it The Lord of the Rings? No, it was Peter Roman Jack Polanski. Oh. oh, never mind. <laughs> yeah. The Jeez. original, yeah, I know, uh, The Pianist. He had done The, oh. the Pianist. Mm -hmm. the, the original production... Kate was in the 70s, but it it flopped because it was seen as too cynical, apparently. Mm. Um, but the revival in 96. I feel like this never this doesn't happen. The revival of Chicago is the second longest running musical on Broadway and mm. is the longest American musical mm. to run. Wow. Yeah. Because the longest running is Phantom. Of course. Right. So we have no new faces mm. in this musical. We have a few people who I could list them, but they're people that were brought over from Broadway that never had a, like any sort of other film career, so they're not really um, any sort of... There's no reason to they didn't leave this movie didn't like jumpstart their career. Mm -hmm. But we have like so something that I do think is interesting. Renee Zellweger. Mm -hmm. She was on the map from Jerry Maguire, but she had also just done 
Bridget Jones. Mm -hmm. And so I was super surprised. Everyone in this movie, I remember them already being a star, but it is surprising to look back and be like, oh, they actually hadn't done that much. Hmm. Catherine Zeta-Jones had done musicals earlier in her career and then done movies. And I remember because I remember this movie being like, oh, Catherine Zeta-Jones can sing Mm -hmm. and dance. Right. But she was already doing that. It's almost like Christopher Walken in that regard. But also, this was her fifth movie. Of only 11 movies. What? Really? I'm like, how are you a household name if you have wow. done only 11 movies? That yes, is crazy. They were big movies. Wow. Huh. Yeah. Richard Gere, killing it since, you know, American Gigolo. Mm-hmm. This was one of his last big movies, part, mm-hmm. mainly, uh, allegedly, because he endorses Free Tibet. Mm-hmm. And. Oh, wow. Right. So yeah, know that story. Yeah. Yeah. The H Brothers production house mm-hmm. is directly leading to less and less Richard Gere. You know, if if they weren't big power players, then maybe he would have been in cats. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, alas, what a loss. Right. What a loss. Yeah. This was a big turn though for Queen Latifah, mm-hmm. who had already been she had already been a successful rapper she had already been in several movies but this movie transitioned her both in her music career into doing a a number of albums of like traditional singing as well as crossing into a mainstream act that could carry a movie with Mm uh so a carry like a mainstream movie i'm 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 finding myself avoiding producer talk but the reality is she was in movies that were targeted for black audiences and this movie Mm -hmm. made white producers be like oh she could lead a movie for white audiences Mm -hmm. also so Mm -hmm. she ended up in movies like the last holiday and uh bringing down the house Mm -hmm. started carrying movies that were also with like a large white ensemble the and also whether or not that there's that's a huge conversation that we're not prepared to have but also uh john c riley big star already not big star but like a big serious actor at this point and then he hasn't made his like weird comedic turn Mm -hmm. i feel like people never go that way but he did he was like in major major serious you know scarsese paul thomas anderson movies this movie and then he started doing talladega nights and Mm -hmm. and stepbrothers and all that shit uh yeah lucy Liu was already in charlie's angels and, and shanghai noon Tay Diggs was already in Stella Got a Groove Back and The Best Man and Rent. Cheetah Rivera was, you know, the original Velma Kelly, but also already Cheetah freaking Rivera for Mm -hmm. half a century. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of what did we get from this, the basically all that jazz, I don't know. So I, my mom loves musicals so i had always heard the song all that jazz Mm -hmm. but i don't know how many people have Mm. that being right so i i would say that that song 
was doing fine before this movie came out, but I can't tell. Mm-hmm. The the truth is, this movie made that musical a sort of a household name musical mm-hmm. because one, the majority of people don't know musicals in general, and two a lot of people credit this movie as being a better version of the musical because the musical, this movie has like a very clear dividing line between the vaudeville acts and the narrative that the musical itself does not have. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people really like that. uh, It makes it clearer what's going on. And then also at the same time, every musical does much better if people walk into the audience knowing the words already mm-hmm. every musical does better when the plane lands and people have already heard of the musical ironically unlike movies musicals and broadway shows are the thing that people want to have already heard of and already had spoiled before they go to see it mm. the the thing that i wish we took away from this was that, uh, you know, in all that jazz, I said, start the car, I know a whoopee spot. Mm-hmm. That is, at first I thought, oh, that's funny. But actually, a hundred years later, we still say that. But we say, fucks. What? Like, oh, that's a whoopee spot. It's the same thing as being like, oh my God, like, that shit fucks. Like, I don't know what that means. We say, <laughs> to say that something fucks is to say that something is good. Hmm. Okay. Are, are you? You've really. I'm, how does that relate been... to start the car? I know a whoopee spot. Because she's talking about going to a club, right? And whoopee means sex. Mm. Oh, it does. Okay. Didn't are you that. kidding me? Well, I don't know. In the context of this song, yeah. It, it only means whoopee. There is no, there is no, I mean, with the exception of like, even a whoopee pie, I wouldn't be surprised. But like, to say that, like the old song, like whoopee, it, we're making like whoopee. A shout of joy, like, like a fun Yeah, which spot. like, right. And when do you do that shit? I mean, I don't go whoopee during sex, so. Oh yeah, sure. Sure. I'll <laughs> okay, write that please. down. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, we used to share a wall. Uh, Whoa. Excuse me. Uh, uh-huh. So, you tasteless whoopee screaming ass. <laughs> oh my God. This is a really an attack day. First you bring up my foot thing. Now you're accusing me of shouting whoopee loudly, blatantly, you know, with a shit. A you know what? Wall. That is good for you. Uh, let's get back to anything else you need to say before we vote on this movie? No, that's it. Okay, good. More good timing. More fantastic. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm ready to vote. Are you ready okay. to vote? Oh, Shall I'm so ready to vote. vote. Let's, let's, let's vote. vote. Let's vote. You ready? Three, yeah. two, one. One. I'm so in the middle. I want to say yes, but with modifications. So I guess that's a no, but yeah, it's like my remake vote. I have, yeah, that's not a one answer, one word answer, but what's your answer? Right. My answer is, is yes. And I think it's no spoilers but i think it gets to be for the time an emphatic yes Mm. interesting cool okay you know especially if the source material well the source material is from the 20s but then the original stage version is from the 70s i do think it does 
okay in that regard. But, uh, you know, this is not the time. We'll be able to compare and contrast later. But what do you want to change? What do you, what are your, what are your quellums? Ah, is that, um, my quellums. Well, okay. Oh, qualms. You're saying qualms. Um, well, okay. So yes, it's interesting too, because what you said earlier, I think this also could be the year of the adaptation being better than the original. Um, cause like what you said about this is, uh, it's a it's just the year of adaptation. Sure. I mean, even but also like, I, I mean, like at least a lot of people thinking that, which is just not the case that like the adapted movie version is like better than the source text or, or like some people, you know, some people don't think that, but like it's, do you, a, wait, you think it is better or not better? Well, I don't, I've never actually seen the musical, but that's what you were saying about like how for Chicago, this being oh, the two towers. Do you think it's better? Oh, or not better? I definitely do. I think it's better. Um, but anyways, we'll get to that in a second. But um, so for me, it's a I love so many things about this movie. And I also just we didn't say this, but I was obsessed with this movie when it came out. I still oh my know God. Gina, all the I'm words. Sorry. I have to interrupt you. I'm so sorry. I just so I said this was the year of adaptation, and then I jokingly asked myself, huh, I wonder when adaptation came out. Adaptation came out in 2002. Uh, no way. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh, Please. That's I'm really very, funny. very, very sorry. No, that's hilarious. That is, that's pretty perfect. Yeah. No, I appreciate the interruption. It's worth it. Right. Um, but anyways, so I love a lot of things about this movie, and I think it's um like it being really blatant. Like it's really interesting to have. I think Roxy is intentionally a really unlikable character. Um, and like this goes back to the thing which I think we've talked about at various points of like there just aren't a lot. She's not quite an anti-hero, but she's just like a very rare example of like a really unlikable woman you know what i mean and in terms of mm. like portrayals of women on film um and so i like i and and her desire to be likable uh, in like a big capital l like for the media's like for the public to like me way is like intentionally a huge part of what of the like you know the um critique of the movie of like questioning that like double stand the hypocrisy and the like media image that's so far from the truth and like all the kind of conniving and like backstabbing that goes behind like this fake image of like i'm just a sweet uh woman you know who you should love like i think that is it's like really exciting to me that that's kind of like a huge crux of the movie um to me it's just it's like the tweaks i want to make are like small ish but uh, it's really about like the it's most it's about the end and it's also about like the what this movie if you were to like t if you were to walk out of the movie and think about like who a woman is or like what this movie is telling you women are that I think the only character who is like morally um in the right, you know, throughout the movie is Amos. Um, like everyone else is shown as corrupt, which also means Billy, you know, cause he is uh, the one male character who like, oh, Billy is you know, very, very clearly Billy, corrupt. Oh yeah, no, exactly. But I'm saying like, there are no women except for the one woman who is, um, is like hanged, yeah. even though she protests her innocence. Um, you know, that like Amos is the one who is sort of like the moral, uh, center almost of the show. And I feel like every woman, is shown to be somebody like women will uh, go behind your back. They will be jealous. They'll be vindictive. They, they uh, you know, are materialistic and like, you can't trust, you know, like they're sort of like, they're hysterical. Honestly, that like women are like jealous raises, and hysterical. Stephen raises his hand. Okay. 
Is there any man besides Amos who is not portrayed that way as well? And also, is Amos, for his morality, presented as being like an attractive person? Well, I think we are supposed to feel bad for Amos because he trusts, uh, he trusts blindly, um, but like he he wants to believe in goodness kind of, and like finally has to acknowledge that like, you know, what he's been imagining is not real. Um, but like, I think we are supposed to feel empathy towards him and feel pity for him. Um, um, but I, 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 again, like I, to me, yeah, it's just kind of like, I don't know. Like, I just worry that I think that perhaps that could be a takeaway of the movie and like, maybe it's not, and maybe I'm just like too worried or something, uh, because I, I don't know. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but then I also feel like in the end, it's funny because it is a musical, I guess it kind of like ends this way, but I feel like it ends with, um, Roxy and Velma, like succeeding, and it almost kind of critiques that, but it, like it kind of just ends with us feeling good. Like it ends with like a big number and it's kind of, it's like funny because they like joke about their guns, you know what I mean? And having murdered people in the past and like, uh, and they're like a hit. And of course the reason they're a hit is because of this whole like corrupt circle of like, you know, fake image and whatever. Um, but it also like, I wish that it left us, like, I wish that they did not, she did not succeed in the end because I just don't. Um, yeah, like, like it just kind of, I feel like right. it, it leaves us feeling good about the movie, um, rather than leaving us with like a final critique of, um, mm. the character. Cause Roxy is just like the worst character. Like, I just really, I just think she's the worst person, um, in, in, in an intentional way. Um, and there's a version of this movie, which I think mostly like you were saying that the split between the vaudeville performances and the narrative that, that happens in the movie version that really supports this theory, um, that like, that Roxy is like a megalomaniacal, like psychopath kind of, and that she, as soon as the songs start, it's all triggered by her, the moment where like reality comes crashing down for her when Fred is like, you'll never be a star. She shoots him. And that's when the songs really begin in terms of like them, not just being, um, you know, them being like non-diegetic song, like, like the first, I love that. you know what I mean? And then like, so we see the world as she sees it in this like fantasy version of like her turning everything into a musical and even if and she's that makes not, total sense because even the yeah. first song is a diegetic song exactly exactly and she's watching it so that one and then as soon as that like triggering like psychotic break happens like she kind of escapes and she's like turning the world into this show that she's the star of um and even when she's not in the numbers she's still seeing the characters like as they relate to her you know what i mean sure. um and so i just like if i could make this like, if i just to like have a final shot at the end where like she's actually just like in her tiny shitty apartment like you know where you can like see the toilet is right in the room and she's like totally like it's just not really happy like I don't know like there's a version where it's like uh, I just think it'd be pretty cool if the movie like really pushed that but I or it's just as is if there's a way to interpret it that way um, especially because that last song it's like wait really like suddenly you two decide to do this and your names are huge on the marquee. Everyone you've ever known is in the audience watching this. Like it just seems like something that 
can't be really happening. You know what I mean? Um, mm. So I feel like perhaps that ending is also like just in her head. Um, okay. I mean, maybe. Now, <laughs> the I do think that the movie, the show supports that it does happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think that. And regardless of whether or not it's like a, like a musical button to have everyone in the audience, almost like, almost like in Rushmore, he has everyone that he's come in contact throughout right. the, the right. movie in the audience of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in your version, if I'm going to, so first off, I have no problem with the way that it was done. Uh, I also think that this, it's almost like you can tell that this musical is was originating from female written source material because not only do these women like have other goals than strictly men, the, even the men in their lives are means to an end to other mm-hmm. goals. Yeah, 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 totally. And and that is not usual right I mean, it's sure. it, 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 certainly in contrast to some other th- films we're going to be talking about mm-hmm. and so i am all here for that i mm-hmm. love the psychotic break thing the only thing that i have to say about the about what you're saying is it, i feel like the movie actually through its conceit does do a good job of providing us with that psychotic break i think what the and the juxtaposition of what she's actually living versus the glamour. The only mm-hmm. thing that I think is missing is us. Mm-hmm. Because it's not just her lack of morality the in choosing to sell her murderousness. It's our lack of morality in wanting to buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because totally. And that's presented through even even her wanting to be a star and keep her name in the paper. The implication of that is that we want murderers. Mm-hmm. We want to sexualize murderers, glorify murderers, whore up, uh, heroize, mm-hmm. heroize. Horrorize? <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, well, I went yeah. to almost went to like horrify, but that's not the mm-hmm. word that we're looking for. Like, um, right, right. Heroized. Yeah. Hmm, there's got to be a word for murderers. That. Yeah. Yeah. And deify. I mean, that's mm-hmm. one way, but it's not really, you can have a hero that's not a god. But mm-hmm. I think what it does not do is put the audience in a position to make decisions about the morality of itself as an audience. Even, even in coming to see the sh- Chicago in a meta theatrical way. We are paying to see murderers. We're just watching yeah. them pretend to be murderers mm-hmm. as opposed to watching actual ones. Mm-hmm. And also for the listeners, just FYI, the word diegetic means that it's happening in the world of the show. Yeah. And then non-diegetic means that it's happening outside the world of the show. So it's like if you watch a movie and music comes on and it's playing through a radio, that's diegetic. If it's background music that's playing to set the tone, that's non-diegetic. Yes, thank now, you. Well, um, now, I also think that it 
portrays something interesting, which is that I started going like in on a couple of things. Like I think this movie, I think it could do more in like making a statement on the perceived danger of, of female power. I don't know that I have like a clear thesis around this, but these women who we see having desires that are not related to men are also all murderers. And mm. so I think it's also depicting something clearly dangerous to the status quo that is female ambition. Mm. And I think I want to see more uh, conscious critique of that and not just because when you have that, you also have the need for that mm. because female power only becomes dangerous to men if men mandate that women have no power. Mm -hmm. And so in order to have power, women must first defeat men. Mm. Yeah. Well, and, and I feel on that note, like another little like shift I w want to make because I totally agree with you like in the he had it come in song like right most of those uh stories we hear from the different women uh like the things that the men did that led to being killed by the woman uh, are things that like are either just about like the woman's uh jealousy which of course is tied to lying or withholding or just like uh, like, like more petty emotions, I guess, rather than like, like things like he, I don't know, he like, wouldn't let me go to the audition because my place is at home. So I killed him. Like, again, it's not like saying that's, I don't think that's okay to do, but like the yeah. stories were very similar in that, like very one note about like, he was cheating on me or he said he had didn't have a wife or uh you right. know yeah like now um, i do think there's something that we miss in that which <laughs> is the you know we don't want like women should not be dependent on men when you go further back in time the more they are the more that infidelity is an assault on like their social power like to because because a, a man could leave a woman not even really get divorced and start a new life and be fine mm -hmm. but these women could not right and so i think that there is a the the I think we in for very good reason have less of an understanding of the social social consequences to infidelity. Yeah, I guess and and the movie doesn't like take us down those paths um but like no. You know, I mean, also, yeah, no, it does not. Aside from Roxy and the squish woman, um, the infidelities are 
the men having infidelities. Agreed. Yeah. But yeah, no, no. So yeah, it's just interesting to think about. Um, Also, I think that the, I think that Billy Flynn is glamorized in this movie in a way that he, he has to be, but you know, the, you know, the closer we get to the cold war, the less anyone is wants to be introspective about whether or not capitalism is a good thing. And there is a conversation that I think is happening to the point where if somebody said it was absent, someone else could say, oh, no, it's there. Mm-hmm. But it's not really there, which is that. That these women believe themselves to have power through Billy, but the reality is they are his capital like they make him money and so like they Mm -hmm. which i also think though something i like about the end is it's at least presented to a degree that they now own Mm. their labor power yeah like true as which i think i think that there is a um you know, in terms of dialectical materialism, I think there is a class critique that we could be made that uh, he is the capitalist. They are the tool. And this movie is actually about them mm. fighting. They they think that they can achieve uh, glory through him, mm. through capital. Mm-hmm. And then they realize that, oh, no, they will actually never have a good life until they reclaim and own their labor power and that they'll never be able to uh, achieve what they want through appealing to the owning class. Mm. That's very interesting. Yeah. 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 Hmm. I, and it would also like, I feel like, yeah, the, cause I think that's a really interesting approach to like, the ending and it makes me wonder like the way it happens here is like pretty magical like pretty unrealistic in that like we should do an act and then like cut to them doing their big act but it's like you know who like how they got there who else is getting money off of them versus like how in control are they over their you know the performance the image like that's interesting stuff that understandably didn't make it into the story um but like you know ties into that question of like the their sort of freedom of their own uh you know selves and life and yeah performances yeah yeah so i would keep it just in the for the sheer reason that like no one was going to make the movie that we're talking about in 2002, but they might make it now. And the only way that they would make it now is if Chicago had the uh, cultural capital that it has now because this movie came out in 2002. Mm. Yeah. And if it hadn't, then, you know, maybe the musical would have closed. Mm-hmm. Maybe no one, it would just be like this thing that we don't really know of that well. Mm. Yeah, true. I mean, yeah. Uh, uh, Maybe nobody would have made it. I don't know. Thelma and Louise came out earlier, you know, and just in terms of not that it's the same at all, but um, right. But also, know. as we discuss, as we discussed when Thelma and Louise came out, that there are certain like uh, feminist film critics that believe that Thelma and Louise was the last mm. like feminist movie to be uh, made. Right. And right. also, like 
uh, like with the depictions of women, we also see this massive drop off in the 90s that doesn't really come back up for a while in mm-hmm. terms of the representation of people of color mm-hmm. that like, you know, we talk, we talk about like the eighties and we talk about movies doing, Oh, surprisingly well for the time. But the reality is the, at least in media representation, the sixties, seventies and eighties did better. Mm. And, you know, through, through neoliberal and neoconservative drives to undo civil rights by claiming that they had already been achieved, boom, 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 they had succeeded in unworking the civil protections, and boom, mm. we end up in a white utopia. <laughs> Hashtag settle for Biden. All right, continue. Um, <laughs> All right, I yeah. That, yeah, we can keep yeah. it. I think we should keep it. Yeah. Uh, dope, yeah. dope, dope. Yeah. Cool. All right. Shall move we move on? Yeah. Let's that's move that's on. Solid. Okay, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Lord of the Rings, Two Towers. was the top grossing movie. Um, it's an epic fantasy adventure, the second in a trilogy. Uh, I'm just going to preface my synopsis right now with, if you are unfamiliar with the movie, the synopsis probably will still not help because it's just full of names and, you know, things that are just to the first one and yeah that that just like are not of our world so they require further yeah so you're not going to get further explanation because we're going quickly um but basically this the whole trilogy is set in the land of middle earth and a band of adventurers is trying to destroy the evil lord sauron restore peace to their land and sauron has this one ring that where all his power comes from so they're trying to destroy that so that's just an overview okay so this movie uh, moves into these parallel plot lines as we kind of have split up this group of adventurers that we met in the first movie um so frodo and sam who are hobbits um are lost near mordor uh which is the the land where the evil lord sauron operates in um and they realize that they're being tracked by a creature named Gollum. Um, Frodo is the bearer of Sauron's ring of power right now. He's been the one who's tasked to destroy it. And Gollum also used to have the ring himself. And it has sort of turned him into this twisted figure who is now kind of fighting with his own uh, evilness or virtue. Um, Gollum agrees to guide them to Mordor. Uh, So that's one sort of storyline that's happening. Meanwhile, um, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, who are another part of this adventure group, are pursuing a band of orcs um, who have captured their other companions, Merry and Pippin, um, who are hobbits. So Aragorn Aragorn and team are trying to save them. Um, The hobbits manage to escape when the group of people from the land of Rohan attack the orcs. So the hobbits escape into the Fangorn Forest, which is an notoriously like mysterious evil forest um and aragorn's group is brought to the king of rohan king theoden um who they figure out is under control of the evil wizard saruman um again i'm just laughing because it's like this is totally meaningless if you haven't seen these movies um aragorn's yeah, group you just gotta power through you gotta power through aragorn's group goes into the forest to look for the hobbits um since they think that's where they might have gone off to instead they find gandalf um who died at the end of the first movie um and has now come back as gandalf the white um he was gandalf the gray before um he frees the king king theoden from saruman's grip and 
They learn of Saruman's plan to destroy the land of Rohan with the orc army. So Theoden evacuates all the citizens of Rohan to a fortress called Helm's Deep. Um, Aragorn's group accompanies them, but on the way, they're attacked by some more evil creatures. Aragorn falls off a cliff. He's presumed dead, but he does survive. Meanwhile, Merry and Pippin, those two hobbits who escaped into the forest, they discover an Ent, which is basically a giant tree creature. Um, his name is Treebeard. Um, they meet him in the forest. They try to convince all the Ents to help with their cause. At first, they don't want to, but when they see Saruman's um, de deforestation, um, the Ents destroy Saruman's fortress, trap him in his tower. Um, meanwhile, a huge battle ensues at Helm's Deep. Our heroes just barely scrape a victory at the end. And Gollum, you remember this whole time, he's leading Frodo and Sam to Mordor. On the way, though, they're captured by rangers from Gondor, which is uh, the last city standing against Sauron, the last human city. Um, it's very close to Mordor. They're taken to Gondor by a man named uh, Faramir who wants to take the ring to help the city. But in the end, he decides to let Sam and Frodo follow their quest. Um and they go off towards Mordor once again with Gollum's help. Gollum muttering about how he'll take them to see her. And we don't know who that is. Um, yeah, so that's that's some of The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. It is a epic movie. Long, yeah. lots of story. Though, believe it or not, when you're watching it, it doesn't really feel like that much happens. Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of, it, only, it sometimes feels like a bit of a filler movie. And But to hear you describe it, like because of all the context you have to layer in, it does make it feel really complicated. But it's not right. Really it's not. It's really not. Yeah. It's just like three story strands that you're following. That, like it's yeah. like a couple people are walking and then and two other, and then there's a big battle at a castle. Right. Yeah. Two people aren't, <laughs> aren't there for. It's pretty much uh, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this yeah. movie. So because this is we didn't have to talk about the Fellowship of the Ring, some of this stuff is layered in with the Fellowship of the Ring. But also this was the movie that started a very small, short lived chain reaction because the MCU took it over before it really became a thing, um, took over. Hollywood was filming a series of movies at the same time. So mm -hmm. when we talk about casting for this movie, Though it's true of the Fellowship of the Ring, also the this movie was cast at the same time as the Fellowship of the Ring. Mm -hmm. The so this movie was made for ninety four million dollars. It made nine hundred and fifty one million dollars. At first, I was like, "Well, how does that work with this whole series mm -hmm. thing?" But it was broken down per film. The total project had a two hundred and eighty one million dollar budget, and it made two point nine eight billion holy shit oh my god yeah which was a big deal for then less of a big deal for the mcu but yeah mm -hmm. it got 17 academy awards across the whole series but this this movie only got two sound editing and visual effects mm -hmm. the casting was in 1999 so there are a number of movies that people have when i'm talking about like sort of people who are breaking mm -hmm. they feel like they were already famous when this movie came out but because this it had happened mm -hmm. you know three years prior to the the first one it, it doesn't um it'll it sort of balances out mm -hmm. but yeah anyone who has not seen this you should look online at who was considered for the various <laughs> roles because mm. i'm telling you it will blow your mind like a simple one simple one was that anthony hopkins was considered for bilbo oh i could see that though 
I think it's because Ian Holm just sort of has this kind of youthfulness that I can't see with Anthony Hopkins. Mm-hmm. I yeah. was perceiving Anthony Hopkins as much older. He's not. Mm-hmm. He's he's the same age as Ian Holm. <gasps> oh my god! Sorry, is that um? Oh, why am I blanking? What the fuck is his name? The crazy guy, you know, in Face Off and stuff. What the? F- oh, uh, Nicholas Cage. Was he Nicholas Cage almost? In this? Oh my god, sorry. I'm just looking. Oh, I'm yeah, yeah. Nicholas Cage was, uh, was on the list also. Was oh, on. fuck yeah. god. Oh right? my it's god. It's so crazy you have that to. That would have been so bad. Right. It would have been basically that medieval movie that he made with Hayden Christensen that went straight to oh. Netflix. It would have turned the Lord of the Rings Vin Diesel as right. Aragorn? Oh my god. Okay, I'll just we have to move on. This is, this I don't know that I can. Right. But like, <laughs> Sean Connery you know, so, is Gandalf. Okay, okay, I'm done. Uh, Elijah Wood already famous sean astin already famous one of the things is a lot of people were already working but everyone who was already working almost everyone their career was sort of turned by this movie Mm. it's ironically not people that we have spoken about um brad Darif, we talked about him in one flew over the cougar's nest he lived tyler kate blanchett jonathan reese davies from indiana jones played sala uh bernard hill the the king of uh rohan was the captain of the ship in titanic yes he was i remember recognizing right. him then yeah yes right. um and then hugo weaving hugo weaving is probably equally known for this as he is for agent smith but if i see hugo mm. weaving i'm thinking the matrix before oh, i'm yeah. thinking of right. lord yeah, of the Rings. Sure. um but elijah wood even though he was working for 13 years even though sean astin was in the goonies even though vigo mortensen was like the Terrence Howard of the nineties. He was in everything. The like McKell, Ian McKellen, these people like this movie is a, like a huge bookmark in their career from which they, you know, it's a turning point mm-hmm. where from now on they are from Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Although Ian McKellen was also, this was happening at the same time as X-Men. This was his, this combined with X-Men were his American star turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of other people, uh, Dominic Monaghan, who played mm-hmm. uh, Pippin. He's Pippin or Mary? He's Mary. He's, oh, fuck. Uh, Mary, he's Mary, he's Mary. Yeah, the one who was also in Lost. He was in Lost. Lost. Yeah, Yeah. he's kind of had a a dip, but he got a little bit of light. Uh, Orlando Bloom. Oh, my heart throbs. Like basically his first thing because you know he went from this to, you know, yes, he was in Black Hawk Down, but he already felt famous at the time of Black Hawk Down. But that's because this had already come out. But he definitely got Black Hawk Down Mm -hmm. after this, Mm -hmm. and then. From there to Pirates, Kingdom of Heaven. It basically had like a powerhouse of Hollywood work until mm-hmm. like 07 when the Orlando Blooms and the Josh Hartnets kind of fell out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. So, yeah. And then, yeah. And also the one who played Eowyn is like, she only got the role. She was, she's an Australian actor for like 14 years, but Uma Thurman turned the role down. And so wow. she got it. Wow. Um, yeah. But like, then the big people, I'd say Andy Circus, this like solidified mm-hmm. and this like exploded Andy Circus is like the mocap specialist. There's no one else. If somebody's gonna be green screened, it's Andy fucking oh, circus. Yeah, absolutely. And then also Weta Workshop, this like launched 
them, like the special effects and mm-hmm. like graphics company, mm-hmm. they are now, if you look at their, what they do now, it's like any, any movie that mm-hmm. has like serious special effects. It's them, mm-hmm. you know, also Lord of the Rings too, uh, not Lord of the Rings, uh, uh, Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Huh. Get this Treebeard mm-hmm. took 24 to 48 hours to render per frame. Uh, no what it moves at the speed of an ant oh man unbelievable Uh. for anyone who doesn't know um most movies have like 24 frames per second that is that is impossible i just don't right right it seems absolutely crazy so the things that we have we don't really have many big cultural things from this although except for my precious my precious what's tater's precious that whole little song that did you ever that was a, maybe it was just because i was a nerd but i thought that was a pretty big <laughs> stupid thing where they took the potatoes boil them mash them stick them in the stew boil them mash they like made a remix no okay i'll stop talking. Uh, so yes that mean that mean nothing <laughs> i mean i chunked that up to like the harry potter snake snake severus snape song sure. but like sure. but yes mash them boil them put them in the stew put them in a stew was like stick a number two whatever um <laughs> uh, that was the very clear second for references but i mm. had never really heard it sure. and the thing for me that is not referenced at all but i have referenced it multiple times a year since the movie came out is when Theoden goes so much death what can men do against such reckless hate really that's like a reference say that all the time no it's not oh i say it oh you didn't know where you got it from (laughs) oh i knew exactly where i got it from what i don't understand is it's such a clear quotable quote yeah yeah (laughs) how is it not used more how is it not used more it doesn't make any sense Mm, Uh, yeah but that's all i got yeah i'm ready oh well and we should just say in terms of us um this i mean i fucking love in terms of bias yeah like lord of the rings still i was one of those people who did like Marathon days, watching all of them. Of course, extended editions. Um, I was also obsessed with Orlando Bloom at this time. This was a dark time in my uh, my life uh, in terms of crushes. I literally used an entire cartridge of ink, uh, printing out every photo I could find of Orlando Bloom as Legolas or not, and literally like cutting them out and putting them, taping them to my walls. Um, but I was, I absolutely like love these movies. <laughs> yeah, no, literally, like all over my bedroom wall. It was insane. I could just like see your parents I know. like needing to print something out. I know. And it's like, sorry, there's a queue of 300 pictures of Orlando Bloom's face in the printer. And some of them, like, I'm sure halfway through, like, petered out into oh, like yeah. green and pink. Oh, because yeah. 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 And I would reprint those that had to be perfect. Yeah. No, insane. I'll, I'll see if I can still find a picture because there are some pictures of my bedroom at that time and it's just oh madness. But so anyway, I have so much bias. I can like quote these movies nonstop, um, love these movies. Yeah, that's that's my relationship to it. I'm I'm middle of, of the road on it. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say that I say that one quote that nobody uses. I <laughs> like enjoy watching it, but once it became a thing, these extended versions, I I started to experience that line in the sand where 
I enjoyed the movie. I saw it when it came out. Oh, it's on TV. Sure, that might be nice to watch. And then once it became clear that there was this fandom that I, I was that I existed, basically. Yeah. Right. Right. I yeah. I I just couldn't get into it. I didn't see it. I yes, my family owns the extended versions. I a number of them I think are still wrapped. And Yes, a number of the three, perhaps, might be mm -hmm. still wrapped. And, <laughs> and I just also think I got a little bit annoyed with this idea of it, it started to feel like, and it wasn't just this, the, the, because this movie kind of set a tone, set a trend, it was this thing also of, yes, director's cuts have always existed, but this idea that we are not just going to have pick up some of the things off of the cutting room floor and show you stuff, but we're actually going to almost reserve things and we're going to sell the first version on DVD and then sell it again to all the people who bought the first one. It, it reminds me almost like in like Taylor Swift fandom, Oh, there's eight versions of the album that just came out eight different album inserts. Oh, I was sitting there looking at it going some motherfucker out here has bought all eight of these <laughs> so that they can have all eight versions of this motherfucking album cover. They spent $200 doing mm -hmm. this shit. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, it's all over Twitter. People haven't done that shit. And mm -hmm. so I, I, this idea of we're going to make a movie and then we're also going to have like a special movie that's, just gonna get it's not really better it's just gonna get people to pay more uh i i i'm not i i i'm not into that no no sure. all right okay. i'm ready you ready Let's do it. yeah three, three two, two one yeah we gotta keep it steven don't take it away from me oh no all right here's <laughs> Tell here's me the first thing mm -hmm. uh one keeping this movie which which what i'm about to say is something that if we want to maintain um basically any culture yes we will have to do we will have to take it with a grain of salt but the this is sort of the embodiment of white male mm -hmm. neutrality that when yeah. you watch it you feel like oh this movie isn't covering anything controversial it's just pretty middle of the road. Well, the yeah. reason it feels middle of the road is that we accept white men as a baseline. And so we don't feel like this is a white supremacy. This, this movie isn't about white supremacy mm -hmm. because white supremacy has led us to take the white male as neutral. Mm. Also, you know, yeah. there is this great irony we know, we know, we know, we, we can take it as a given that Peter Jackson. Also, by the way, I the, the dude didn't have that many movies out to get a two hundred and eighty one million dollar budget for this shit. I'm, I'm kind of like, how? All mm -hmm. right. That's some that's some discrimination in favor of white men already. But. The biggest thing 
Uh, it's not the biggest thing. I don't know why I said that. But we can take it for granted that the reason Peter Jackson didn't really consider people of color to be in this movie is because th- he was also assuming white neutrality. And the conversation went, um, I don't think dwarves were like, uh, we. I shouldn't cast a black person as uh, one of the dwarves because the dwarves aren't black. Mm-hmm. You know, but the implication is that they are white, you know, that they can come up with this massive uh, realm of species that have like we we have various species that have alliances and millennia of culture, um, but not different human beings. In a way, uh, the, the whole lore asserts that white supremacy is something that unites people across uh spatial boundaries mm-hmm. and i really went in i've been experimenting with morning pages and mm-hmm. i i really went in on why it's fallacious to assume that because it's fantasy uh or because the fantasy is based on medieval european lore mm-hmm. that that makes it somewhat that makes them white because you know it's fantasy it never existed anthropomorphizing fantasy already begins in a place where you have created your own rules also it's a fantasy so there's no yeah there's no reason they should look like real world people at all it dilutes the idea of it being fantasy and like with things like animal farm it delight dilutes your ability to make a clear allegory because it's when people see people it muddies the message now also medieval europe had trade with with asia and north africa sure a shire person would have been insulated from all that but they are traveling the entire continent also if these people have existed for millennia there would be different phenotypes we would have different colors of people's skin that's why there's also we don't even get we get Elves, dwarves, and men, which are seem to be analogs of Scandinavians, British, and Germanic. But the reason we don't have Italians and Iberians is because that would then muddy this idea that Middle Earth is, uh, you know, this ethnically homogenous place. Also, the if it is an ethnically homogenous place, then the orcs are also white, right? Mm-hmm. The or- orcs are also white, but they're consi- but they are written as being dark however they would if they are black then then boom middle earth is not ethnically homogenous and there's no reason that there should be uh ethnic homogeneity anywhere else the also also if if there is if there are black people walking around middle earth and there is still this ethnic hegemony then we can see that this is also like ethno nationalism that we should that we should be i don't know weary of also mm-hmm. if these people these people are clearly also the orcs industrial laborers so my theory is that this series is inherently anti labor right because there are industrial laborers now and then that would make uh the dwarves the men and the elves primarily uh, the owning class, and also Sauron too is, you know, Sauron and Saruman, which is also the Urukai. Even though they are darker skinned, they in the in the universe, I they are 
the white laborers of the South who are basically failing to cooperate with the orcs to overthrow like the owning class that is keeping them subjugated because they have this relative level of power over the orcs. So they're choosing a state of subjugation that gives them relative power as opposed to collaborating with them to overthrow the people that are keeping both of them down. The other thing is, if it, if that is the case, it also muddies this idea that there are no women because the fundamental understanding of the proletariat is that it is egalitarian across women and races. So the orcs themselves should be made up of multiple races and women because poor women have always had to work like uh, the proletariat has no culture and the proletariat has no like gender uh, differences. This is like, uh, this is it's in Marx. Now, if also, if they are industrial laborers, then because, because in medieval times, there was not such a thing as like a whole town full of blacksmith. It's not how it worked. There is, however, uh, 19th century industrial laborers that can make up an entire town. That would be an anachronism that would make uh, a heterogeneous culture appropriate. Mm-hmm. So we already have this convening thing that, that, all right, I've, I've really, I have really gone, I have several pages about this. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Um, <laughs> and so it just, it makes it complicated yeah. for me. Also, the only women that we see are um the the only women that we see are love interests of aragorn they are only two and so we got a lot of problems here Mm -hmm. yes no for sure um so yeah i think like the the argument that you're making which is a very good one is like the broad argument uh which i totally agree with of like you know because really yeah it's it's tolkien um being like Tolkien, his own white supremacy and like whether it's subcon, uh, you know, unconscious or conscious, you know, biases of like, you know, his own of society that he was certainly influenced by, but not only Tolkien, but most, you know, fantasy um, that makes it to the mainstream has always been, uh, mm-hmm. you know, taking a medieval Western European, uh, you know, backdrop and turning it into fantasy so like you know that that it is just it is a huge problem in the genre um and has has always been a huge problem in the genre and then peter jackson like wanting to it's the excuse of you know uh wanting to be true to the books and i'm sure there was stuff with the estate you know the tolkien estate or whatever like i i wonder if that ever was was brought up or if it was just always kind of a silent um understanding you know what i mean but um but yeah it's sort of like he the movies don't uh, don't push against that sort of um, bias, you know, that is just clearly implicit in the entire universe. Um, and, and even, yeah, and like East versus West, you know, and there's, uh, you know, just like it's, it's very, very clearly um, set in this, you know, white European world, um, you know, where West is good and East is bad and anything else just doesn't exist. Um which also I, I, I always think is interesting, you know, to point out that like 
I just think it's so interesting when white supremacists talk about this kind of thing and they say like, well, it's based on a time period in which this would have been true. And it's like, well, no, actually it was never true in any time period. Mm -hmm. And so to make it that way is more of a lie than having cultures that are aware of each other, kind mm -hmm. of like uh, Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. right. Like in, in Game of Thrones, there are, as they travel across the continents, the phenotype mm -hmm. brag of the people changes. I was mm -hmm. sitting there taking notes being like, what did these people start in the middle and then move entire? Is that why it's called Middle Earth? They just mm -hmm. moved perfectly <laughs> laterally. They didn't right. change climate or environment. And that's right. why all their well, skin yeah. stays the same. And if they can walk the length of the entire continent in not too long a time, you know, how big is this place? But regardless, like, uh, yeah but it's it's just it is it's really um and i think like because this movie and these movies were such a huge success and phenomenon culturally and monetarily you know that yeah keeping them around and keeping them as is you know does just it all it does is solidify these uh these really harmful things that have been a problem of the genre forever and just so rarely get talked about um which makes me very sad. Yeah. And women, I mean, yeah, it's always, it's so funny like this, you know, I, I knew this was going to be the case, honestly, <laughs> like coming into this conversation um, and how hard it is to challenge your own nostalgia is like, just really, it's always surprising mm. to me every time it comes up, you know? Um, and like, you know, they try, they half-heartedly pretend, you know, like with Eowyn of like, I, I want to fight. I am no man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and like wanting to fight, but that's a man's job and be with the right. women and children, you know, but it is still right. like her primary, um, you know, her really her primary motivation is devoted daughter and love interest, you know, um, mm. and, and Arwen, that's all, you know, we get is this like romance and Galadriel is not in this movie basically um and she she's just kind of anyways as a character like the you know just sort of aloof sort of like aloof sexless uh you know right. like just spirit you know so not even mm. she's not she's so not of this world it doesn't even like talking about her relationship to gender is just like feels so unnecessary like just like it's not like she's got no she's got nothing to say character wise about like gender really um, yeah. um so and there, yeah there are I, i'm not prepared to like whip them out but there's like plenty examples of um you know her lack of quote-unquote sex is not a win her lack mm -hmm. of like sexual desire her lack of like gender identity is not a win there's plenty of examples of why like de-sexing and de-gendering uh women is a way of like not addressing like women having mm -hmm. wants and mm -hmm. right, right. needs right yeah exactly um, it just skirts so. the issue right yeah like, well she's not really a woman mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, yeah. I mean, it's really like, there's so many, I was just now Googling, I was just thinking about like other fantasy, the fantasy that I know that like 
does not operate from a place of these same biases or like is at least intentionally trying to not, you know, and like Earthsea came to mind. And I remember in reading, rereading Earthsea by Ursula Le Guin, like she in her, the like re, you know, uh, the new edition of the com- the like combined books um, has all these like introductions to the books where she talks about the way that like in the books it is in t- it is really clear that none of the characters except for these like northern um, land like evil like bad characters are those are the only people who in this universe who are white it's just never explicitly stated but it is very clearly stated when we get descriptions of all the different characters we meet and where they're from and what they look like and how Mm. like in every uh edition of the books that came out the cover was always white people like like so clearly people just like not either not caring about that intention or knowing you know like well but if we want to make this seem interesting or universal we have to just like show them as white on the cover and then if you make that connection for yourself as you read whatever but like to but to sell it you know what i mean and it just makes me be like yeah and that so i was just looking up like is there and to make it relatable we have to sort of co-opt your interpretation by already planting white people in your brain to pick up as you read it Right, right. And there's never been a, like, Earthsea, I don't, there's just, it's, like, now I'm just, like, let's, I want to just make a movie of Earthsea. And, yeah, even just looking, I'm just, like, Googling, there was, like, an Earthsea TV show that I've never saw. And, like, mm. everyone in that is super white. Right. Um, and, yeah, and I read this amazing book that I read recently called Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James, which is, like, it's just this incredible fantasy that truly like made me really start to think about this. Like as a lover of fantasy, I'm like very ashamed to say that only in like last year when I read this book, did I really start like actually being like, Oh, every fantasy that I've encountered before is totally just based in this like medieval Western European thing because basically Mm -hmm. black leopard, red wolf, um, is, is a fantasy book. Um, and it's just entirely set in like in African countries and like folk tales and like, like myths and, you know, all the ways that like dragons being equal, like, you know, myths from Western Europe or Northern Europe, like, you know, that like myths from different places in Africa, like turn into the monsters and the, the, you know, uh, magical, um, elements and everything like that, like in the book. And it is, it's truly like my jaw was dropping every page because I was like, I've never read something like this. And like, hmm. how crazy is it that I, is it that like, I've never read or seen any fantasy that does that. And like, I love fantasy, you know? And like, it just like, it really made me feel, um, and like ashamed for never like seeing that, you know, because of my own implicit biases and like really, uh, ashamed of the industry for like not doing better, um, as a genre or not the industry, the, the genre, I guess. Um, yeah. So yeah, so it is a hugely problematic thing and it is worth my, me, you know, good getting rid of my own nostalgia to like make a stand and like get rid of Lord of the Rings for the sake of mm. this far more important thing, you know? Cause I also don't know that the, cause there is, you know, we talked, when we talked about star Wars, Star Wars is a very similar thing. However, we can say that, like, despite Star Wars failing in in the 70s and 80s and quite also the early 2000s, Mm. they started to pave the way in in terms of Star Wars, in terms of like the third trilogy. They did. they, They started to do more. Uh, not quite. I mean, the MCU has done even has done even more. 
And there's almost this question of would we the people leading the charge were also failing at the same time, but this popularity, but the popularity they had during this period put them in a position where they could change. Mm-hmm. I'm not a hundred percent that anything did come out of the two towers hmm. or come out of the Lord of the Rings series. Cause it quite, quite frankly, I don't think any of these people went on to do work that was different or better. Orlando Bloom's next big thing was like, yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean, I feel like is the only other big thing. And that is basically all the same traps, I feel like. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. It is. I also love that one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, because also what, yeah, did... Because, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, you could say Lord of the Rings give us Pirates of the Caribbean, but then very shortly, you know, 2009, things started to shift in the direction of the MCU. And so I'm not convinced that this sort of fantasy epic, besides shifting Hollywood further towards massive budget movies, which we... Mm -hmm. It, it, where, which is contestable that that is a good thing i don't know that like if we got rid of it we would have to necessarily get rid of something else that i really like totally yeah 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 you know not unlike you know if we were to get rid of 9-11 we would also get rid of my chemical romance and then what? from 9/11? there twilight and then from there 50 shades of gray I don't know. When you say nine eleven, do you what do yeah. you mean? You mean the uh I mean the Gerard Way, like yeah, yeah. What? Okay. <laughs> I'm okay. just saying there is a direct line. That's all there is a direct line between nine eleven and my chemical romance in a way that I cannot draw a line from the two towers to anything else. Okay, gotcha. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Or Lord of the Rings as a whole to anything else. Mm. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, I think like what just the one thing, which again is like, I don't know, like the line, is there the line from, like you were just saying, like from the, the Lord of the Rings as a trilogy, as a big budget smash success, whatever, to like the new Star Wars and like things which are like a, a mass appeal uh, for the genre of like fantasy slash sci-fi, just because, you know, they get lumped together and like, you know, the new Star Wars movies, which are trying to be more conscious of, you know, race. Right. But did those new Star Wars, since the Star Wars episode one came out in 99 and the casting for the Lord of the Rings was in 99, might that also imply that the Star Wars, the the uh, the new entrance of the Star Wars franchise is what gave life to the Lord of the Rings? Hmm. Chicken and egg here. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. Do we then have to get rid of Star Wars in order to get rid of the little Lord of the Rings butterfly effect? Everything is connected. (laughs) We can get rid of those middle Star Wars. We know that already for sure. Well, V true. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I don't know. I I mean, it's also one of those things where it's kind of crazy to say 
it's like a cross between friends. Well, it's almost like it. I feel like it's less like friends. It's a little bit like, uh, <laughs> in that basically I feel like a, so much of its power is waned mm. with the exception of the fact that like my former roommates might do a Lord of the Rings day in the same way that they would have done MCU days. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's still this like driving cultural force. Hmm. Yeah. These days. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. I don't like, I don't, I, yeah. I don't see it referenced. Mm-mm. I don't see the actors exception mm-hmm. of Kate Blanchett, but how dare anyone attempt to tether her to this movie? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Alas. Yeah. Alas. But, but, uh, uh, some, some important things for what needs to be done in this in this genre. So I, I think it's worth it to, to say get out of here. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Peace be unto you. <laughs> you. We can call him a... We can call him a proto-fascist. The reality is, if Tolkien were alive, if Tolkien were writing this twenty years later, that he'd be on board. That's all I'm trying to say. He'd be on. Oh, uh-huh. sure. I mean, yeah. If yeah, you can tell from the books, so you know. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, wow. What a day. What a day. What. What a day this was. A day. A day. And with that day, (laughs) I guess we can say. Mm, Yeah, for next week. It's Return of the King down the down the boards. Down the ballet. Return of the King down the ballet. Now we can also music. And isn't the show isn't the is the show show No, it's CSI. The show is CSI, Mm. which it remains for three years right um and so i mean who knows yeah i've never watched csi i don't you've never watched csi i mean to be frank to be frank it might be worth doing csi because yeah it 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 is the birth of the crime procedural like i know that technically that's like law and order Mm -hmm. but things like criminal minds right no so many so many in uh, in cis Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 50 million csi different franchises yeah, yeah, multiple exactly. anti- i mean it yeah it, it did it, it did a lot yeah, yeah i think we should let's watch csi and do some songs sick i'm into it hey, all right too. you want to hit us with a haiku i do i made a, I made a stupid haiku because i didn't want to put oh yeah you know i don't want so anyways here's our haiku <clears throat> they had it coming genre forward movies ask what's taters precious it's nice. not. It's a haiku in the sense nice. that you know, it doesn't mean anything, but it it evokes. It evokes. <laughs> okay, I think that was kind of slanderous to the haiku. Well, sure I would was. say if you don't, it's a haiku. So if you don't get it, you just haven't. Oh, I get deep it. Enough. No, I get it. But I'm just saying, if you don't get it, no worries. No, worries. no I'm saying if you don't get it, worries. Oh, dig deep. Dig deep. Sure. Academic up, you you fucking pleb. <laughs> <laughs> um also i'm very pro labor so if you don't get it like that is because you've been uh robbed um mm. 
Okay. Uh, and, and basically prepared to enter uh, a capitalist workforce in which you only are prepared to do the tasks that will allow uh, the owning people to profit. That's, that's all I'm saying. Um, we are a so Rock Rising, Rock Rising Productions podcast. podcast. <laughs> I'm Stephen. I'm Stephen Moskis. Steve Moskis everywhere. I am Save the Penguins on TikTok. Sweet. I'm pretty much nowhere, but on this podcast. She's uh, in the land of no place. Oh, I live on the internet these days. Whoa. Ooh, it's all right. Well, we'll see you next time for 2003 with some TV That's right. Yay. Peace out, Girl Scouts. Squish. This podcast is produced by Rock Rising. Come follow us on Instagram, and if you want to hear more podcasts, visit rockrising.org. Thanks.